You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. This is a wonderful campaign as we are looking at this idea of surrender, but don't you love those stories um, of people who took a surrendered risk and it made all the difference in the world for them. Uh, people like those who stuck it out uh, before Microsoft came famous. They were uh, um, uh, this group of people that Microsoft was just building as a company and they really couldn't afford to pay all their people, but they said, hey, we'll create this new thing called stock options. It wasn't even that much available at the time. And they said, we'll pay you a little bit uh, now and then we'll pay you a lot in stock options. And some of the people left the company and a lot of them stayed and they just kind of stuck it out. They took the surrendered risk of getting late, low pay in that. But man, when that company went public, woo, did they, did they win big time. As a matter of fact, in Northern California, we live next door to um, the father of one of the uh, administrative assistants. She bought her dad a plane. <laughs> yeah, she made out all right. Or like, a, or like Disney, uh, those who sacrifice to see Disneyland happen. And look, look at 60 years later. Uh, this amazing uh, uh, entertainment uh, giant that has really blessed so many people. I know our family have been so blessed by them and, and just a, what a wonderful experience they've had. And really this church. Uh, many years ago, a group of people got together and they uh, surrendered to God's call and they served and gave and worked hard. And even they worked hard on this building. And the church isn't a building. The, church is, uh, the building is what houses the church, the church's people. But, but they sacrificed a lot for this building. It used to be a, a Cypress skateway. There was people would roller skate in here. Right here. <laughs> and now look, it's a wonderful church and, and a great a beacon in this community because those people were willing to, to work hard and to give that surrendered risk uh, of pushing forward in that. But you know, it's also what intrigues us is those stories of people who missed opportunity. Like, like the company Yahoo, they heard of this guy who uh, uh, started this, this uh, small online thing called Facebook. And they said, ah, you know, we, really, we don't really want to go with that. It's not going to really make it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, what a miss on that. Or uh, when newspapers... Uh, uh, the, the, the kind of consortium of newspapers had learned about this thing called Craigslist. And they thought, ah, you know, it's not going to amount to anything. And unfortunately now Craigslist has got grown to such a, a great size, it has really siphoned off all of the revenue that newspapers used to have from their classified ads. little missed opportunity. Or what about those publishers um, who saw the, the huge volumes of the Harry Potter series and said, nah, no kid's ever going to buy that. <laughs> Uh, what an amazing thing, that missed opportunity for sure. The reality is we want to be like the first group that jump at that life-changing opportunity and not to be like those who live in regret for what could be. Now, what if I told you that there was a way to make sure that you were part of the first group? Now, not in the world's view of success, but in life that is fulfilling and significant and a life, in living the life you were meant to live. Well, there is, but it's not easy or smooth. Uh, it's kind of a narrow road, and it will not be without trouble or hardship, but it will be rewarding, influential, impactful, helping change the landscape of heaven, and all this bringing God the glory he deserves. It's not found in achievement or in materialism 
or moralism, that, that notion that somehow you can earn your righteousness by doing good. No, it's not found in moralism. No, it's found in surrender. The surrender of our will and way of the world to God's way. It's not the act of surrender that does it, but it's the person we surrender to. That person is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, when God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit get a hold of our life and take control, when, when we make them the center, as Matthew six thirty three says, seek first the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is Christ on the throne, our highest affection in life. When that happens, the Spirit transforms us. When we surrender our mind to Christ, we become intelligent Christians, Christians, those who are like Christ. When we surrender our heart to Jesus, we become loving Christians. When we surrender our body to Jesus, we are useful Christians. When we surrender our spirit to Jesus, we become dynamic Christians. And when we surrender our will to Jesus, we become obedient Christians. And we enter into the life we were created for, that life on Mission. Now, we're going to talk more about this as we move through this study, but in <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 15 and 16, we were created that mission to expand the gospel. That gospel meaning the good news of God. That good news of God that we are no longer have to living in the unfortunate reality of our sin, but yet can be joined together with God and have that life that we were designed to live. And in that, we can share about the gospel uh, throughout all of our areas, but also to be ambassadors of Christ as 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says. Like I said, Christians, the word literally means little Christs, that we, wherever we go, we act like Jesus. We show and demonstrate and ooze out what Jesus is like. This surrendered life is a surrendered life to God's call. Surrendered to Christ's service, surrendered to Christ's mission, surrendered to Christ's sufferings and surrendered to Christ's generosity and to, surrendered to Christ or to belonging in the spirit. That's the campaign. It's on those subjects as we go through the Bible book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, there, there's four elements to this campaign. One is the devotional. It's so that you, we can be literally on the same page every day. It's a daily devotional that you can read every day. And I know that some of you, are, you kind of treat uh, devotionals like dieting. If you just miss one day, you go, ah! Forget it. <laughs> just leave the day, uh, you know, go back to it later, but just keep going through the days, as many as you can. And I encourage you, it will encourage you to have regular Bible reading. There's some great stories in there, as Jericho was mentioning. Another key element of the campaign is our life groups. Those are our smaller groups, and they meet all throughout there. And if you're not in one yet, if you go out these double doors at the end of the service and go turn left, there's a desk there. It says community life groups. Uh, Pastor Ron will be out there. Are you there, Ron? Ron's over there in the red shirt. Can't miss him. Um, he'll help you find a, a great group that you can be involved in. If you just want to try one out, uh, there's one that meets here every Tuesday at 7 o'clock p.m., and I, I help lead that group, and it's a great time. Those signs showing you how to get there, we'd love to have you join us, but do get involved in a life group. That's where you can really talk through what these uh, things that you're learning through the sermon and through the Bible study uh, and, and how they work out in life. But it's also a chance for you to get to know some people and live in community with people and, and join with that. So I encourage you with that. St- jump in there and those. And then we're going to be doing a service project coming up very soon and you'll be hearing about that. We're going to do something that's just, you know, kind of surrender away from us, from, from our city and go and help out the city of Compton, we're doing the Compton Initiative there, and so it's going to be a fun time there. You'll be hearing more as we go along. But that, all this to help us listen to the Holy Spirit and seek to live that surrendered life. Now, now surrender seems 
so counter to one of life's highest values, that value that life is all about me, self, or I. Uh, I want to be and do what I want to do. Where we direct our future, where we determine our destiny, where we are in control of power. And yet all through scripture, we're challenged to surrender to God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding and always acknowledge him and he will direct your path. The idea is to surrender your trust to God. Jesus said in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, he said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you or take my way upon you that we're to surrender to Jesus' way. That, that yoke, uh, that, that would hook two oxen up, we're, to, we're a representative of a way of life. That we're to surrender to Jesus' way of life and Jesus' care in us. And as Ephesians 5, 18 says, it says, do not be drunk with wine, but be controlled or be filled by the Holy Spirit, that we should be uh, surrendering to the control of the Holy Spirit in our life. All through Scripture talks about this. For <clears throat> The reality is, though, it seems surrender is for losers or the weak. But there's actually a benefit to surrender. Like when you surrender your car or computer to someone who knows how to fix it, or you surrender your kids to uh, school to help them to learn because you don't know how to do algebra, <laughs> you help them and surrender them off to university too. See, if, we not, if we're not good at financial investing, it, it does us well to find an expert who we can surrender to. Now, does surrender mean we lose a bit of control? Absolutely. But we gain a peace of mind knowing someone knows better. See, there's power and there's security in our surrender. But instead of our car to a mechanic or our kids to a university or our, our money to an investor, we're talking about surrendering all of our lives to the author of life. He's far more reliable <clears throat> than any broker. And believe it or not, the stakes are, are so much higher. It isn't your retirement that we're talking about. It's your life. And challenge to surrender is, is real and it's, it's scary. And so the question that we're going to be answering this morning is why would we consider surrendering to God's call? The Apostle Paul answers that question giving us three truths to trust as we surrender to God's call. So if you wouldn't mind just pushing your books aside, stand up, let's pray and ask God to, to teach us this morning. <clears throat> if you've come to the place in your life where you believe in, in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit there to help and guide you and we need to do the hard work of listening and trying to take these truths in, but he will help us apply this to our lives. And so let's ask him to do so. Father, thank you for this morning and the opportunity to be able to come and to listen to your word this morning. And Lord, I know that there are people come and all kinds of issues and things going on in their head and their heart. And, and God, I pray this morning that they would tune in and seek to listen how they might surrender to you more and how they might yield their life to you. Even in the midst of difficulties, Lord, may they surrender to you. Teach us, Holy Spirit, what you want us to learn and may we gain from this time, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat and <clears throat> please do take out that outline. You can jot down the notes and again, pick up that study guide so you can get the answers to the blanks and all the extra verses that I mentioned as well. But three truths to trust as we surrender to God's call. The first truth to trust as we surrender to God's calling is God's calling is compelling. Let's just look at that very first verse there in 2 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, the apostle Paul writes this, Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God and 
Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Acacia. Now, Paul, so compelled to his calling as an apostle, pushed forward despite all the issues of life. Uh, now, he is an apostle, which means he's at the foundational, it's a foundational ministry of starting this whole movement of Jesus. And this whole movement of Jesus is understanding God's story. God's story that he created this world in all its beauty and wonder and put man into it and let him run free and, and said, just don't choose of this tree and yet man sinned and that changed everything in our world. The planet, the animals, and certainly us humans. When sin entered the world, a huge gap was ripped apart between man and God. We are separated by our sins, by our iniquities, uh, Isaiah tells us. And because of this separation, we go live our own way, facing all the troubles and trials and, and issues of because of our sin, and yet we aren't connected to God. And try as we might, there's no way we can bridge that gap because moralism doesn't work. You cannot earn righteousness. That sin that we have, we're stuck with it. But God provided a way. He provided a redeemer, someone to redeem us out of this awful, sinful condition and to make us righteous, not by our own act, but by what Jesus did. Jesus, the, the sinless one, uh, came to this world, squeezing himself into the tininess of a man and showed us how to live out a godly life, but then went to a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. See, sin has a price. The wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life and the gift is Christ on the cross. He paid the penalty for us when he died on the cross. And how we benefit from that is to believe. Believe is always more than just mental understanding. Belief is always an action. As it says, I accept this and I take this as the, as the truth of, of, of my redemption of closing that gap, but also now to live life God's way as best as I know how. That's the movement of Christ helping people to understand there is a gap, that there is a way to fill that gap and a way to live life as God meant it to be lived. That's the movement of God as he, as he move, moves on. And the apostle Paul was committed to that movement. So compelled, he kept going regardless of the obstacles. And my goodness, did Paul have obstacles. Now we're gonna look at it in a few weeks, but I wanna give you a little sneak peek. So hold your finger in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter one and flip over to chapter 12, or chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 24. <laughs> the Apostle Paul didn't have an easy life. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> that's why people uh, were contesting his apostleship because they, were, uh, they had this moralistic thinking that if you did all the right things, your life would be easy. There would be no trouble. That The reason you're having trouble in your life is because there's something sinful in your life. And that's just simply not wrong. There's, we have trouble in our life because our world is full of sin. And Jesus even said, we'll hear, talk about later, that, that we're gonna face tribulation. And yet... Bad things happen even to good people. And so his, his apostleship was, was contested by a lot of people because all these bad things happened. Listen to what happened to Paul. Five times, five times, I received at the hand of the Jews 40 lashes less one. 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails. He was whipped, just like Jesus. Three times, 
I was beaten with a rod. Once I was stoned. Now that stoned is not like getting high. That stoned was, you know, getting rocks thrown at you till you thought you were dead and dragged out in the city, out of the city. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day, I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, in danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger as false brothers, in toil and hardships through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and exposure. Wow, Paul had an easy life, didn't he? Yet despite all of that, despite all of that, Paul has this incredible compassion and he was compelled on to, to endure what he did. So what was so compelling that Paul had to endure all he did? Philippians 3.8 tells us, Indeed, Paul says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul got God's story, the love, the separation, the redemption, the restoration, the grace and the mercy. So smitten by that love, it compelled him on through all that he faced. Do you get that Jesus loves you more than you can ever imagine? Jesus, uh, from the love of the Father and the love of us, went to the cross willingly because he cared so deeply about each and every one of us. Let that love explode in you and compel you like Paul. It's like with my, my grandson Moses. Check, check him out. Isn't he so cute? Oh! That one picture where he's falling asleep on me, that's my favorite part of the day. But just the other day, um, uh, they were at our house and uh, he was being held by his mormor. That's my wife, Swedish for mother's mother. So um, she was holding him and he was in, had his pacifier in his mouth. He took his pacifier, handed it to his mormor, and then reached out for me. And I grabbed him and, and held him close. And, and something exploded in me. As I held him there, this overwhelming sense that I would not stop at anything for this young boy. That there is nothing I wouldn't do for him. That love in me just just burst into that desire to protect and encourage and love and be beside and be there for him. And even today, first service, my youngest grandson came, I was going to say walking in, but he was not walking. <laughs> he was being carried in by his mom. And, and, you know, I just happened to turn over and my heart leapt because of that great love that is just, just in there when you see them. But how much more should the love of Christ grip us and let the truth of his love burst in each one of us that we would do anything for him. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For Christ's love compels us 
Because we are convinced that one, that's him died for all, took care of our sins, therefore all died. In other words, all of our sin was taken care of. That word compels means so taken by, so absorbed with, so seized by, so occupied with, so gripped with Christ's love that we've got to do something. So moved, so compelled. Jesus did. So gripped with the love of his father in that garden scene in Gethsemane as as he was about to go through the trial of the cross, fell down on his knees, sweat like great drops of blood. Father, if there's any way to take this cup from me, because he knew, because his God, what exactly what would happen to him and the pain that he would face, if there's any way. And he said and surrendered, not my will, but yours. The love of the Father exploded in him. And he surrendered. Has Jesus' love grabbed you like that? If so, great. Let it move you beyond your fears, beyond your dreams. But if not, why not? Who or what really do you love more? Paul was uh, compelled on the road to Damascus and, and, and write down Acts chapter nine. You can study that later. Uh, Paul, who was this, this complete moralist, he had the ideal that if you did all these righteous things, then you would be righteous. And that was the way of life. A lot of us feel the same way. If we do all these right things and everything good should happen to us, then we'll be righteous. It doesn't work that way. We're not righteous. None of us are, only Christ. And because of what he did in the cross, we now can become righteous, not for what we have done, but because of all of what Jesus has done. Paul got that on the road to Damascus. It exploded inside of him and it transformed him from Saul, the Pharisee, to Paul, the apostle. Timothy got it too. Gripped with that incredible love of Jesus, was compelled to get out there too and to live out his unique calling. The church of Corinth, not a place you would think a church would be. And oh my, did this church have problems. Look sometimes, read sometimes 1 Corinthians. Uh, you will see crazy adultery, immorality, pride, arrogance, divisiveness, and judgmental attitudes all over the place. And yet Paul helping them deal with their issues. They were compelled to God's call. It says that because they were saints all over Acacia, because of Corinth, they got it. Something exploded inside of them about the love of Christ and they were compelled to go out and share Jesus with others. And it made a huge impact in their world. The Corinthians at Corinth were compelled towards God's call despite the being immersed in a city and culture of achievement and competition. It wasn't a place where surrender should thrive, but it did. Even if there are plenty of hiccups along the way, Paul calls them saints. It's an identity to those who follow God's call, but it's also an expectation of how someone lives. If you're a believer in Christ, you're a saint. I know, be careful, don't get, don't get that Messiah complex. But you can stand up and say, I'm a saint. So live that way. 
That's the expectation. It isn't because they have it all together, but because Jesus changed their identity at the core of who they are. They answered this call because his call is compelling and he, Jesus, is compelling. We're surrendering all of life to let his love explode in you and surrender. The question is, will you? Let's look at now at another truth to trust as we surrender to God's call. It's the truth that God's call is reliable or God's character is reliable. All of scripture, scripture reveals God's character. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says that, that all scripture is God breathed. And it is, it is his revelation of himself. God is revealed through the words of scripture, uh, things that directly tell us what he's like and then we can see it as he moves his will and his way all the way through scripture. Not only that, Romans uh, chapter one, uh, verses 19 and 20 tells us that nature reveals God's character. We can see what God is like and what he has made around us, the universe, the stars, our earth, other planets. And God's call is grounded in his character. What he does flows out of who he is. God's character is unchanging, but the calling he has for each one of us is different. My calling is different than yours. Same mission, but different opportunities we carry it out. Now, we're not sure why God's called us all to be different, but however, since his calling flows from his character, he's got a good reason for it. And so we are to respond to his call, not just because he says so, but because we know the calling is coming from God with reliable character. So what is that character? God's attributes are so interspersed all throughout scripture and even in this passage here. But let me just read you verses two to five and then we'll pull out a few of them. He says, Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort as well. Uh, three small verses, <laughs> with tons of theology, But let's take a look at just a few of these characteristics of God. First of all, God is gracious. When Paul wrote this, he says, grace to you. Uh, Now the standard Greek greeting was the Greek word carrion, which means greetings. But Paul puts a play on words and says the word charis, which is the word grace, which also means uh, which, which means grace, but, but it's not just a play on words to be silly. It's highlighting the heart of our faith, which flows from a heart of grace because God is a God of grace. That word means unmerited favor. It's a gift with no strings. It's a gift just because God gave it and said it so. He, he handed us salvation. He handed us this, this wonderful life, n- not because we earned it or somehow deserved it. It's just because he wants to. It's an unmerited favor. The result of grace is the next facet of his character, which God is and gives peace. Paul adds a Hebrew and Aramaic greeting, shalom. The idea isn't the absence of troubling circumstances, but a profound well-being that comes from resting in or trusting in God's sovereignty and grace. That grace 
is that unmerited favor gift of Christ at salvation, which bridges that gap between sinful man and, and, and holy God. And then we experience peace with God. As the Bible says, that, that, that distance causes enmity or strife between us and God. Yet because of Christ, there is now peace with God. Not only that, there's the peace of God. That peace of God is where God is in charge, sovereign, working his will and his way and his purposes. Even though it may be unpleasant, we know that God is on the throne. When we go through difficult circumstances, we can say, God, you're still sovereign. We claim the promise in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and we trust in that promise. Trust in his character. Matthew 6, 33, that God is, is, is that one who is the king and throne and highest affection of our life, seeking first the kingdom of God. Or Romans 8, 28, that says that all things work together for good for those who love God, that that good is not necessarily what the world calls as good, but it's our good being conformed to the character of Christ, our teaching, our understanding, our good for our spiritual growth, not health, wealth, and power as the world sees it. Paul prays this for them and for us, reminding us God is a God of grace and of peace. God is also triune. And that's kind of a strange one to throw in here, but we need to address this aspect of who God is whenever we get the opportunity because it's important. It's who he is. It's easy to skip it because this idea of God being three and one is a little confusing. God is one essence, yet three persons. He is oneness and threeness all at the same time. Now, no illustration is perfect because we're trying to take something in our world and explain something that is out of this world. But yet we can think of light. Light is rays and waves and particles, all light, but three distinct properties. Or you think of water, H2O. It's liquid, solid and ice and vapor, still H2O, just in three different properties. Again, it's not a perfect illustration. The Trinity is difficult and it and it makes us want to avoid it, but it's powerful and practical too as we walk and talk about, walk with and talk about God's character and his peace and grace. It's important to remember that it's an overflow of God's love within his threeness. For he existed eternally in a loving community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that relationship exudes love and grace and peace and all of who he is, his character shines forth. And when it shines forth, that's his compassion flowing on us. We benefit from his character. That's called compassion. His compassion shines on us and we experience that grace and mercy and kindness and peace and love. And out of this compassion, we are compelled to live in humble appreciation of his greatness because he is God. Omnipotent, mighty, awesome, Gracious, glorious, grand, dignified, august, majestic, merciful, kind, generous. And I could go on and on talking about how amazing and wonderful and beautiful and great God is. Let who he is move you and motivate you and compel you and fire you up and surrender to him, to his cause. The question is, will you? Yes, his calling is compelling and his character is moving as well. God's comfort is empowering. Let me read verses three to five again of Second Corinthians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, that outflow of his character. 
who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we receive from God. It's like we're just, we receive the, the comfort and we just, boom, pass it right out again. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in his comfort as well. Our triune God is the God who comforts. Father, Son is mentioned here, but the Holy Spirit is actually called the comforter. Who comforts? That word means consoles, encourages, helps, walks beside as we go through life's valleys. And truth is, we all go through them. And honestly, it's not fair. It's not fair that one person gets cancer and another person doesn't. It's not fair that one person goes through financial ruin and the other person has an inheritance of millions. One person gets sick, another person doesn't. Another person has family struggles, another person has a perfect family. One person has a a child who's going through difficulty, another family doesn't. One family can't have kids, the other one has an abundance of kids. It's just not fair. But that's life. We live in a sin-filled world. And Jesus was very clear in John 16, 33, in this world you will face tribulation. We live in a sin-sick world where difficult things happen and they just happen. Not because we blew it, but yet we can bring it on ourselves. And sometimes even God brings them. Yes, God even brings those trials in our life. They're not meant to punish. They're meant to train. And yet in all of this, he comforts. The outflow of his character falls on us. So encouraged by that comfort, we are to console and encourage and help and walk with others. We do that with a lot of things in life. Like with flu remedies. You know, everybody has their own. I have a few. I use emergency. This stuff really works for me. Some of you, others of you, you swear by airborne. You take it every day whether you need it or not. Others of you use a, um, a little honey and cinnamon. Oh, yeah, that works. Good. Others of you have some, you know, where you take mustard, smear it on your chest. I, I don't know. Some people have their own, but we, we, we will go at great lengths. We hear somebody go, <coughs> oh, I got this great remedy for you. Because we were comforted by that. We want to share it with others. How much more should we share the comfort we receive from God with other people? Oh, we've seen that all over here. God has done some great things. Why not, with life in general, share that specific help when we've been comforted? Paul explains the way this happens in the next few verses, 6 and 7. If we were afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we were comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffered. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. I really hope you read the, the first, the devotional, especially the first one for today. It, it's, it's again recounting the story of Jeanette Ambrose. Um, she shared at Easter time here on video, and some of you saw that, but she's going through, I think this is her third or fourth bout of cancer. And you think after just one of the two, you'd go, oh, come on, God. 
and get a little frustrated with God, but, but God, she received the comfort of God and she just, just shares it out. And I wish you could have been in our life group. As she was sharing her story, tears coming down in different people's faces because they're experiencing cancer and they're experiencing a, a medical issue and they're experiencing, and the, the um, incredible comfort that she received just flowed out onto these people and then they, they received it and, she, and they were encouraged by that. That's how it's supposed to work. When we receive the comfort of God, we're to, to share with others like Gary and Patty Painter after losing their daughter to brain cancer have been sharing the comfort they receive from God with others. I saw Mike Cobell and, and Lori over there with, with Celebrate Recovery. Those two have been through that study and, and they've seen God do an incredible work on their life and so comforted by God by that, they said, Mike, we've got to start Celebrate Recovery here and they have. And now, now God is using that comfort of that and, and the same with Carrie Couch. Did Carrie, are you in the service? But oh, there you are. Carrie's right here. So encouraged by grief share. As she's gone through her own grief, that she wants to share that comfort with others and grief share happens here because of that. That's how it's supposed to work. The comfort that we receive from God, we're to share with other people. And, and, and Jericho shared about the, the, the uh, <clears throat> children's ministry and needing children's workers. Some of you have been blessed by a children's ministry of a church or this church, or you went through a children's ministry. You received that great comfort of God, and now it's time for you to go share it with somebody else, some other kid that needs you. Oh, I, I wish you could have been in the youth staff meeting as they're going through some rough waters as their youth pastor is gone and, and they're, they're struggling with that and they were meeting with parents and just tears in their eyes were sharing with them. We, we had an experience in our youth ministry and we want your kids to have that same great experience because they had received the comfort of God and they wanted to share it with others. That's to get involved. Let the outflow of that flow out. It's a natural thing and when we stop it, it's not natural. Actually, we become stagnant when that happens. God's comfort is empowering. It naturally does that. Let his comfort empower and surrender. Surrender to his call in your life. The question is, will you? Will you be one of those people who take a surrendered risk and be about God's call? Don't be one of those who live in regret. We all have a calling and surrender is a key. But it is not the act of surrender that does it, but it's the person we surrender to, the person of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let his love explode inside of you and compel you because God's calling is compelling, his character is reliable, and his comfort is empowering. Will you pray with me? Father, Thank you for your great love and care for each one of us. You chose to reach down and to to love a crazy kid like me. And God, uh, I am forever grateful and compelled to, to do and serve you with my life. And I pray that for my friends here as well. God, that you will help us, that you will challenge us, that you will encourage us, and you will motivate us, move us. Help us in that, Lord. Help us to surrender. Surrender our will. 
Surrender our idol of self or whatever idol that's in there. And let that love that you have for us explode inside of us to move us forward onto your call, we pray in your son's name.